Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 68 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Seasoned Athlete is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We are here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. If you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you really love us, you can support our ability to continue to bring inspirational stories to you by way of either a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly sponsor. Just go to seasonedathlete.me and click on one of the support seasoned athlete buttons to help support this DIY independent podcast. Today is a very special episode and something that has become a bit of a tradition since I started Season Athlete back in 2017. Today, as I record this episode, as I'm speaking right now, it is my birthday. Today is my 45th birthday. So kind of a milestone, kind of a milestone birthday. So I turned 45 today. And so as is tradition with the Season Athlete podcast, I am doing my birthday episode. This is one of the times where I do not bring out a guest and I just talk to you directly from my heart about my life and my lessons that I've learned and advice that I have to give. And if you have questions you have for me live, we are actually streaming this live on Facebook, on the Season Athlete Facebook page and on Instagram, on my Instagram page at Robin Leggett SGX, uh, two places today. So uh, if you have questions that you want to ask me live and you're watching this stream, Please ask me questions. I'm happy to answer. Uh, I'm, I'm an open book as much as I can be today. But uh, until you ask me questions, I just talk about myself and uh, what I've been up to. So let me talk to you about what my life has been like as a seasoned athlete this past year. Um, so first of all, I kind of want to go back to last year at this time. And uh, I remember last year at this time, I was talking a lot about uh, my Spartan season. And I remember I had kind of a frustrating season last year. Uh, the way Spartans set up their championship qualifications, uh, I was unable to qualify for world championships. So my goal in 2018 was to qualify for Spartan world championships. And I did everything I could. I, you know, I tried to get high placements in races. Um, there were certain races uh, that you had to get a top 10 ranking in in order to qualify for world championships. And I just couldn't make it happen. Uh, so that was a frustrating thing last year because that was a big goal. And I had to come on this podcast a year ago and admit that I did not achieve my goal. Um, and sometimes that happens, you know, we set bold audacious goals, or maybe we set smaller goals and sometimes we don't hit them or we don't hit them on the timeline that we want to hit them. And, um, it's interesting because that's taking me to something. One of my guests told me this year, uh, it was Kevin Hopp who may, may be watching the live stream on Instagram. I'm not sure, but, uh, he ran 70 marathons in 70 days just on his summer break. He's a teacher. And he said, goals don't always work on your timeline. Goals don't always follow your timeline. And that was something that really stuck with me this year. Uh, but it, in terms of last year, you know, the goal didn't work on my timeline. So what happened this year? Uh, so once again, my goal was qualify for Spartan World Championships. For this year, they changed the qualification criteria. So this year, they um, they had five national series races. I attended two of them. I literally could only attend two of them. So I was already 
kind of at a disadvantage to start with. I had to do well in the races that I did in these two races that took place in Big Bear and in Utah. And, um, I had to get, uh, what it, I, it was just a, it wasn't even a placement. It was, there were points you earned in every race. And then you had to get an overall, uh, top 30 placement in their national series, uh, which counted all of these five races that were in this national series. So I had to get a top 30 placement. I remember I did the Big Bear race in May. And I came in fifth place, which surprised me, quite frankly, because that's one of the hardest races that Spartan has. And I came in fifth in my age group. My age group, by the way, this year was 45 to 49, even though I was 44. But the way they worked it is it's your birthday um, or it's your age at the end of the year. So now that I'm 45 and it's still 2019, I raced in 45 to 49. And I came in fifth place at Big Bear. So that was cool. And my ranking in the overall national series at that point was actually 26. So I was squeaking into the top 30 in that race. And then I had to go to Utah and I knew I had to do well. Um, and in Utah, uh, another really hard race, but one of the most beautiful venues I've ever been to, just gorgeous mountain venue. And I came in 15th in that race, but for whatever reason, I don't understand the math, uh, that that actually upped my overall ranking to 11th. So I finished the U.S. National Series in 11th place. I qualified for World Championships, and I was pretty stoked about that. Uh, so I got to go to Spartan World Championships and compete in a gated championship heat, which I had never done before. This was, you had to be invited to participate in this heat. I had competed at that venue. I raced that venue three years in a row. Um, and I saw a question came in on Instagram. What is the craziest race you've done? And I could go on about Tahoe, but, um, <laughs> will in a second. Um, but, uh, I had raced in Tahoe. It's a hard venue. It's a mountain venue. And, uh, but I never raced in the gated championship heat. So I got to participate in the race against my peers in my age group in Lake Tahoe this year. So that was a big, big, huge goal accomplishment. But then what happened when I got to Tahoe? <laughs> okay. So every year that I've been to Tahoe, first of all, Tahoe is one of my favorite places in the whole world. It has deep, deep meaning for my family. We went on family vacations there growing up summers and winters. And, um, many people know that my father, my dad passed away this year. And so, and he was actually in his last days when I was in Tahoe for Spartan world championships. So he passed away, um, just a couple days after I got back. And, uh, so I raced for him. Like I wrote his name on my arm and I raced for him because Tahoe was such a meaningful place. So in years past, uh, Tahoe, yes, very, very hard venue, mountain venue at elevation. It starts at about 6,000 feet and goes up to about 9,000, something like that. Um, tough climbs, and uh, they have a notorious cold water swim that you usually have to do. And the water is usually around 45 degrees. They do put a flotation device on you, but uh, it's mandatory generally to do the swim. And you have to take all your gear with you, so you have to figure out how to keep your gear dry. Uh, as you're going through the water so that you can bundle back up again if it's cold. So in years past, the weather's been pleasant. The weather's been warm enough that if you go into the swim and put on a windbreaker real fast and real fast and run like the wind, you can warm up again. So, um, I haven't had any issues with weather in Tahoe. It's a hard race. It's a long race. It's, uh, two years ago, I did more burpees because uh, Spartan races have a 30 burpee penalty for failed obstacles. I did more burpees than I've ever done ever at 330 in a 17 mile race in 2017. So that was really, really tough. Um, but the weather has always been good. And that's, that's been, you know, fortunate this year. 
This year, while the weather was good, the days leading up to Lake Tahoe, the weather was lovely. And then a freak snowstorm came in in September, the weekend of the race. So uh, the race took place. There was Saturday race, which my husband raced in. And that was an open heat race, so anybody could race in that. And he had cold weather and he had high winds, but he did not have what I had. (laughs) Sunday, the day I raced, it was snow flurries, 25 degrees outside. Um, And we had to do the cold water swim. So I had frantically shopped for gear the week before and asked for tons of advice because I'm a California native and I've lived in LA for 15 years. I don't know how to dress to race in freezing cold weather where you might get actually completely wet. Um, I don't know how to do that. So I got some really great advice on base layer and windbreaker and gloves and beanies and I had all the good stuff. Um, and we, you know, I went out there, it was 25 degrees, getting colder as I went up the mountain. I saw there was snow on the ground, there was snow in the air, um, and I was doing okay. I was actually warm. I had hand warmers, and that's like clutch gear choice for cold weather, the cheapest piece of gear you could ever buy for a cold weather race, and probably the most important piece of gear you could ever buy for a cold weather race. I had hand warmers, and so I was keeping my hands warm. I had hand warmers in my hands. I had hand warmers in my pockets of my windbreaker. All was well Um, they put us through a double sandbag carry, uh, before the swim, thankfully. Uh, but it was the most, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in a race. That, that double sandbag carry was just brutal. And people were dropping out of the race in that double sandbag carry. Like I, it was, it was the land of abandoned sandbags out there. And I had to just tell myself while I was doing it, just count to 10 steps and take a break. Count to 10 steps and take a break. You will eventually get through this. It could take you a half hour or more, but count to 10 steps and take a break. That was how I got through that sandbag carry and it worked. And then when the swim came, I had to take off my windbreaker, try to stuff it in a plastic bag. I had practiced stuffing my windbreaker into its own pocket and I got really good at it in advance. And then when you're out there and and you're and it's freezing and your hands are seizing up, all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. It doesn't work so well. I was struggling with folding the windbreaker into itself. I was struggling with stuffing it into a bag. Um, and I ended up just saying, screw it. And I just shoved it all into the back of my pack, put the pack on my chest and backstroked through the water as fast as I could and just kind of hoped for the best that my stuff would stay clean, stay dry. Really just crossed my fingers and all that. But I got through that swim in two minutes flat. I was proud of myself. And I actually had spent the month prior taking cold showers every day. I went to cryotherapy. I was just trying to get used to cold. And that worked. (laughs) That part worked. I crushed the swim. Coming out of the swim, I was trying to get my gear back on and my hands were freezing and not working. And try zipping up a zipper when your hands aren't working on a, on a windbreaker. It's just not happening. Um, but I, I got the base layer on. It got a little wet, but it wasn't too bad. Windbreaker was dry. Tried to opening hand warmers, like was hardly working, but I struggled and I get hand warmers out and I just spent the next mile and a half running as fast as I could, trying to get life back into my hands. My hands were hurting so bad. Um, and I could not get warmth back for the longest time. So I was massaging hand warmers. I had to switch hands with the hand warmers because one of them was working better than the other. They don't work so well when they're wet. Um, I'm just struggling to get any, any feeling back in my hands. And, and it took a long time and it definitely affected my obstacles in that back half of the race. Um, I, my grip was just kind of a mess. So long story, slightly less long. 
I made it, I, I finished. And this was a race where hundreds of people were dropping out with hypothermia. Tons of people were dropping out with hypothermia. Um, it was a struggle bus type of race. I actually did a really good job keeping my mind in a good place in the race. And I think that was key. Um, my gear was good. Uh, I think that was also key. And I finished in just under six hours. I was, once I saw I was getting close to six, I really pushed and did my best to get done in under six hours, but it was not without a lot of fails. So I struggled with obstacles really badly. I failed 10 obstacles. That was 300 burpees that I had to do that day. Um, that, that was a struggle that sucked, but I, I did my best to laugh it off. Uh, you know, laugh about it, celebrate every, teeny tiny win, even if it was like a silly win on an easy obstacle. I was like, I just got this stupid easy obstacle. I'm a winner. Like I just was celebrating every single win. Um, and, and I finished the race in six hours. So that was a big accomplishment this year. And then the other big one happened uh, just a few weeks after that when I ran my first Spartan Ultra. And that's a 30 mile obstacle race with 60 obstacles. Uh, basically, it's a Spartan Beast course times two with some extra. So it's four extra miles. This was at Tahone Ranch in Lebec, um, in between LA and Bakersfield. And uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time to practice building miles because I was training for Tahoe and training for World Championships and put everything into that. So then after Tahoe, I went into super long weekend runs where I was running 25 miles, 28 miles. And by running, I mean running and hiking. Um, but just full days, like eight hours on a trail to get ready for this. And it definitely helped because I got it done. We got it done. I ran with my husband, Michael, and uh, Roderick, who's uh, a member of our gym. We ran together. And so that was nice to not have to be alone. I was not competing. I was not competing in age group. We just wanted to finish. And it took us 13 hours. So that's the longest race I've ever done, the longest effort I've ever done. Um, we started before the sun was up and we finished after the sun was down. Um, it was cold when we started, it was cold when we ended, it was hot during the middle. Um, and, uh, and, and we got it done. So, and I, you know, I never felt at any point in that race where I wanted to quit or, I, you know, my mind was also in a good place in that race. And I'll talk about kind of why in a second, but um, it was a long day. It was just a really, really, really long day. Uh, will I do it again? Uh, that remains to be seen. I know my husband, when we were talking about it, he's like, okay, we're going to do this thing, but it's going to be like a one and done. And before we were done with it, we're like, maybe once a year. But for me, it's like, it's not the ultra itself that's difficult. It's the training. It's just the time that it takes out of your week when, when you already have a busy week to then spend eight hours on a trail, just a whole day. Like that's a lot. So you have to be willing to put in that time, but on the race day, you know, it's, it's another, it's another event. It's another race. And, um, and something I actually want to do a podcast on this topic, but I, I had a little epiphany when I finished the ultra and that was, um, the soreness that I felt in that ultra. And yes, there was a high degree of soreness and, and exhaustion that I felt at the end of that 13 hour, 30 mile race, but it was pretty much similar to the soreness and exhaustion that I felt when I ran my first 5k. Um, which was about seven years ago. And so at that time, I, you know, I was in a different training level, fitness level. I had never, you know, I wasn't running a lot. And so it just shows that it's all relative. Like when people are like, I can't believe you did a 30 mile race and you were out there for 13 hours. That's insane. And I'm like, 
well, seven years ago, running a 5K was nuts to me. So, and then I did it and I'm like, I can't walk for the whole weekend because I just ran this 5K. And obviously I'm in a different place now, but seven years ago, that's where I was. And so if you're thinking about me and doing this 30 mile race and thinking it's insane, well, where are you at? What's that insane thing for you right now? Because that's, do that insane thing that's for, that's insane for you right now. And then maybe a few years from now, something else will be insane and you'll be able to tackle that challenge. And then a few years from now, a bigger thing will be insane. When I first started this Spartan race madness or even doing road races, like each new thing was the crazy new thing. The first half marathon, the first 10K, that was the crazy new thing that I cannot believe I just did. When I first started a couch to 5K program, running for 10 minutes was crazy. I remember being so proud of myself for running for 10 minutes and I just ran for 13 hours. So it's all relative to where you're at right now. So I feel like I might've just ruined that podcast that I'm thinking of doing, but like I wanna do an episode just about that because I think it's really important for people to hear that. Um, so, so yeah, the craziest race I've ever done actually I think is this year Tahoe, not the ultra. The ultra, the weather was pleasant. We were kind of moving at a really easy pace. We walked the last six miles. Like it, I don't think that was the craziest race. Tahoe in 25 degree temperatures and then submerging myself in water. That's crazy. Like it's crazy that I did that. So, um, I think that's my craziest race so far, but you know, I have a long future of racing ahead of me, hopefully. So hopefully that answers the question. So barring further questions, I have three big lessons that I want to share about my adventures this year. Um, this year I finished my 50th Spartan race overall. I'm about to run uh, the fourth anniversary of my first race, which is in Castaic Lake in December. I ran, that was my very first Spartan race in 2015. So I'm hitting some milestones there. I'm over 50 races in. I am on track for four trifectas this year. And a trifecta is a Spartan Sprint, Super, and Beast all in the same year. And I'm on track to get four of those. So you can do the math on that. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of racing this year. I got two more podiums. I got uh, I got a podium. Actually, since I did a birthday episode, I've had three podiums. So that's exciting. I got my first podium almost a year ago in San Francisco, and I'm going back next weekend to do the stadium up there. Hopefully I'll get another podium or two. Um, I got one in Arizona for the Arizona Spartan Sprint. And I got one in Chicago for the Spartan Super, and I actually got first place in my age group. So that was my first win. So that was exciting because that race was awful. <laughs> it was a, a mud fest disaster, and I did not expect to win it, <laughs> quite frankly. But you never know. Um, so what are my three big lessons? I have three big lessons I want to share. Um, number one, sometimes the less pressure you put on yourself, the better you do. And this isn't a new lesson for me. This goes back to roller derby for me. Um, on games where I everything was on the line, you know, it was a championship or a championship qualifier back in my roller derby days, um, I sometimes wouldn't play so well because of the pressure, because I put so much pressure on myself and there was so much expectation. But then we do like a fun game where we, you know, had some silly theme or whatever, and I would just crush it. Um, and so I find when I kind of take the pressure off and have and go into it like without expectation, I actually do really well. And I think that's what happened when I got my first podium last year it was after World Champs and it was a funsy race. Like it was just uh, go, going to uh, going to San Francisco and running a stadium. And I'm like, I'm not even that good at stadium races. Like 
I didn't, I didn't have any expectation. And then I just did really well. And uh, so I find that, you know, these championship races, I don't always do as well as I'd like. Um, and maybe it's because I set the expectation expectations really high. But for end of year races, which is where I'm at right now, and that's why I'm so excited. It's like, I have no expectations. I just want to run these races because they're fun and I get to see friends and I get to see what I can do. And I tend to do better in those races. I just did a four mile hill run uh, hill race last week and it was a very small local trail race and I came in fourth overall women like who'd have thunk you know I won my age group so I had no expectations going into that race so I love kind of expectation free racing um so let's see Mark says I've always had the best races when you clear your mind of everything and run that is so so true so that's why I'm so excited about right now Brenda had a question. How do you stick with a healthy meal plan? Did your plan change when you did Tahoe and the Ultra? You know, I try to focus on healthy habits rather than strict meal plans and healthy habits that I can do all the time. Preparation, knowing what you're going to eat during the day, planning in advance, meal prep if you can. Um, we use a healthy meal delivery service. We use something called Catered Fit. So, cause we're super busy and we don't have time to cook and that really helps us stay healthy. So, um, cateredfit.com. And, uh, if you use code Robin, you get a discount. So, um, that's what we do. And so they deliver food every day and it's all fresh and healthy meals and you can pick the meals you want. So, you know, sometimes you got to go that route. We don't have time to cook. Like my husband's freelancing. We're both running a gym. So we do that. Um, and then again, I increase my carbs the week before the ultra. You don't necessarily have to do that the week before a sprint or a super, but for the ultra, we knew we had, we wanted, you know, it, it was a big long day. So, um, so that's some basic, basic, basic stuff, but obviously I could go a lot more in depth. Um, S says wishing me a happy birthday. So lesson number one, go into high pressure situations and take the pressure off yourself or just, uh, try to approach something that might be intimidating without any major expectations and just go see what you can do. So that's number one. Number two is if you wake up with a knowledge that you're going to do something, no matter how crazy it is, you're more likely to do it. So, um, for example, uh, for my ultra, you know, a lot of people are like, how did you get out there and do 13 hours? And my answer was I woke up knowing that it was going to be my entire day. Like, that, you know, it's like I woke up, I'm like, I'm going to be out there before the sun's out and I could be out there after the sun's down and it'd be nice if I'm not. But like I devoted my entire day to being on this course and on this trail. So there was no confusion when that happened. You know, there were, it did start to get tiring by the end of the day. I was a little over it when it got dark, but I knew I was going to be out there all day. And so when you kind of wake up with that knowledge, it helps you complete that task. I've done trifecta weekends where I do three races in two days, a beast, a 12 or 13 mile race on one day, and then a eight mile race followed by a four mile race the next day. And you know what? Like if you wake up knowing that you're going to show up and do those races, you're going to show up and do those races. But if I hadn't signed up for all three races, I, it would be very easy for me to wake up and be like, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to go do this. So when you kind of sign up and you pay for the thing and you know that it's going to be all day and that's how it is, like, and you know that you're going to be tired when you get back out there, whether it's for the second day of racing or the second lap of an ultra, like you just know that and expect it and then you can do it. So just kind of waking, being ready with an expectation that like, 
this thing can take you all day and it may not be fun the whole time, but you, you're still more likely to be able to do it. So that's lesson number two. And lesson number three, I have a cat at my feet. Um, always have a cat at your feet. <laughs> that's not lesson three. Lesson three is um, something that's really stuck with me this, this year is like in life, in competition, in fitness, in training, um, in anything you do in business, it's a long game. Like you need to be prepared to play the long game in nutrition. Like what Brenda asked, you need to be prepared to play the long game. Things don't happen overnight. Success doesn't happen overnight. Opportunity doesn't happen overnight. You got to put in the work day in and day out. And that's what brings the returns. Um, and the returns can look a lot of different ways. The returns can be a podium. The returns can be, uh, you know, a win in your business and a, a, a successful turn or an opportunity that comes your way or something. But it does not happen overnight. And it doesn't happen immediately. And so I, I actually had a bracelet made this year that says long game. And I look at it because that's my motto. That's my motto now. It's like everything I do is a long game. When I show up to the gym and, and nobody wants to come that day, and it's like, that's okay. You know, next week, 10 people might come or, you know, I keep plugging away and I might get an opportunity to lead a workout on the beach with a hundred Spartans like I did last weekend. So you just, you got to keep doing the work. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's in everything you do. So just play the long game. Think about that. So, um, Sarah mentioned on Instagram, do the work beforehand. People go out unprepared. I guess that's in reference to, uh, things like ultras. Yes. Like you can't just not train and then wake up and say, I'm going to spend 13 hours on a course and think it's going to be all hunky dory. Like you got to prepare, obviously, and take it seriously, obviously. But like when people, tell me it's crazy that I did 13 hours on a course. I tell them I woke up knowing that I was going to do 13 hours on a course. Like there was never any question that like that's potentially how long I could be out there. So thank you guys for hanging out with me today and being a part of this tradition, whether it's on an, in an audio podcast or live. Thank you so much for being a part of this tradition. And uh, if you enjoy this, uh, you know, Please feel free to uh, leave a rating review on the Seasoned Athlete page. Oh, uh, Elsa Evely Duff with one more question, and I'm still here, but I'm going to talk while you while you ask your question. So, uh, you know, feel free to leave leave reviews on the Seasoned Athlete Facebook page or in uh, Apple Podcasts for Seasoned Athlete. Um, we love reviews. People love reviews. We want more people to find this podcast because uh, I really believe I'm you know the people we talk to and the advice that. Um, is shared by myself and by others, uh, really super helpful. So, um, you know, I know people can benefit from that. And that's why I play the long game with this podcast. I don't make any money making doing this podcast for the record. Uh, I do it because I love it. And um, I do it because I love it. And I know it's helping people. So that's why I continue to do it, you know, two years. So, uh, Evely, what are the complications of working out with a partner if you are at different levels? Um you know, I, I feel like that, I don't know, complications is a weird word in that because there's plenty of complications if they don't, if you don't have an understanding of each other. If, if you don't have an understanding of each other and where you're at, there might be a lack of patience. There might be an expectation that one person 
is not stepping up or should be stepping up more or someone might get frustrated because they want to be at one level and the other person's at a different level and they may feel that they're being slowed down. Um, interestingly, this kind of happened with myself and my husband when we were training for the ultra because, and for those who have known me and my husband for a really long time, this might be surprising information for you. He has surpassed me in running ability. Um, once upon a time, he was not a runner at all. I guess once upon a time, I was not a runner at all. He has surpassed me. He is fast. Um, he, he is so much faster than me with less effort than, than I can maintain. So, um, yes, wanted to know how you, sorry, type that fast. Yes. Wanted to know how you and Mike started out. So, Oh, so it used to be I surpassed him. I was at a, I was at a different level than him, but I think the difference in my situation is I've been a trainer for a long time. So I kind of come in with a coach's outlook. Um, so I'm always trying to bring people up and I will, you know, meet their level. He and I used to train together all the time and he would push as hard as he could. And sometimes I was able to push harder than him. Lately it has switched, particularly when it comes to running. Um, so he and I, he is just a way faster runner than me now. So now it's interesting because when we go run, we don't run together anymore. So uh, if we go out on a long trail run, we both usually have the same amount of mileage planned for that day. We go together. Um, and then when we take off, we're on our own. So he will run faster than me. He will do his run. I will do my run. It got to the point. It used to be that he would finish like 20 minutes ahead of me. And so he'd wait for me. It has gotten to the point where sometimes he finishes an hour ahead of me if it's a really long run, in which case we take separate cars now. (laughs) So we kind of, we figure out how to make it work so that we're getting what we need. Um, And obviously, like I support him pushing himself. He supports me pushing myself. Um, There have been times where I have been frustrated with him because he'd make a remark like, what took you so long? And I'd be, you know, this this like, you know, a, a... 18 mile run or something and it's on a hot day and I'd be like, you need to not do that. I've had to actually give him, uh, ground rules, uh, on things he can do on run days. Uh, there was a day where he got home, showered and I still wasn't done. And he was like, what, what's wrong? What happened to you? Are you okay? And I was like, and he kept texting me and I was at a very kind of tough part of the late, late part of my run. I was hot. I was tired. I was out of water. I was out of food. I was feeling crappy and I didn't need him texting me. Uh, So, um, and it just took me like any positive headspace I was in took me completely out of it. So I got home and I'm like, ground rules. You are not to text me while I'm running unless like I am way, way, way late, but, uh, I will text you when I'm done but I want you not reaching out to me because it buzzes my, my watch. Like I can't even tune it out. So um, we've had to create some ground rules uh, when it comes to that. But he, we now, we work out together at our own paces, but we, you know, when we do strength training, we do it together. We lift whatever weights each of us will lift. Uh, he's always trying to lift a little heavier than me. That's kind of his little rule. And then uh, when we run, we run separately now. So in the ultra, we switched and we ran together again because we knew we were going to run the race together. And I know during the ultra, he got a little bit frustrated because he wanted to run faster than um, myself and Roderick, our other race buddy, uh, wanted to, or were able to run. Um, so he had to go a little slower than he would have wanted to run. But, um, and we made fun of that a lot after the fact, like he just ran 20, 20 feet ahead of us looking back a lot. 
But um, that was a rare occasion. He and I now both race in competitive heats. We don't race together anymore for the most part. And therefore, we can run at our own paces and therefore we train at our own paces. So that's kind of how it goes with the two of us. But in any partnership where, you know, you're at two different levels, it takes either a level of patience or an understanding or ground rules um, to make sure that both people are getting what they need and are also patient with each other and supportive of each other. So hope that answers your question, Nads. So yeah, I think I've lost my Instagram because uh, my iPad didn't have juice. <laughs> I've lost my recording on the computer because it crashed. It's just you and me, Facebook Live, and I appreciate y'all for being a part of this. Uh, so this is a special time that you and I had together. Um, barring any further questions, I think I'm gonna call it. I have to head to Tebecula today. I'm going to a business retreat this weekend, so I gotta hit the road. Um, but thank you for being a part of my live podcast not recording, but I'm going to post this on the Facebook page. Um, so technically it is a podcast recording. It's just a Facebook live podcast recording with some technical difficulties, but thank y'all for being patient with me. Jody says, love this. Thank you very much. You are an inspiration to me. Long game, hashtag long game, y'all. It's a real thing. So thank y'all for, for being a part of this and for, uh, supporting season athlete. If you haven't listened to season athlete, please go back and listen to all our past episodes. We have some amazing, amazing interviews inspirational people and I've got more to come. So thanks a lot. And uh, anything you are going out and doing, go kick ass at it. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from someone I've known for a good chunk of my 45 years, Jason Achilles. Learn more about him at jasonachilles.com. You've been asking for Seasoned Athlete shirts and now they're here. Go to seasonedathlete.me and click on shop to see our selection of tees, tanks, sweatshirts, water bottles, and more. Shop now and proudly own your status as a seasoned athlete. Do you know of someone who would make a great guest on this show? Or do you have an inspirational story to share? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com. And remember, you can help bring inspiration to more people by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Now go on out and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you so can.